E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Freeform with Michael Feuerstein of Palm Mall. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice to see you. Pleasure's mine. So you're in the wine business now, but it wasn't always so? No, actually, I wasted a good deal of my life in the textile business. What was that like? Uh, it was a pretty rough business. Um, I was in it about 35 years, and there were probably 10, 15 good ones. Um, it kind of got to the point where, if you uh, can think about it, the uh, famous duck press at uh, Tour d'Argent. Yeah, I've heard of that. We became the duck. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah, it was, a little, it was rough. How many thread count? Uh, lots, lots, <laughs> lots of threads. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, this is a serious question. If I go shopping for sheets, what does it mean when it says? The, 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 the more threads per inch, the finer the yarn, the silkier the sheet. You're always a pretty finely dressed man. Is that uh, something that's carried over from your days? Uh, mm. what, what, did, what Did you do men's clothes back then? Or? No, actually, I designed fabric for women, women's wear. Oh, okay. So you were, in, you, were, you were in women's pants? As much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but after you got out of that business, which it sounds like it had its ups and downs. It, was, it, was a, it became a very tough place to live. Um, the wine business was actually sort of an accident. Uh, a friend of mine, Becky Wasserman, refers to me as the accidental wine merchant. Um, you were friends before you started business? Together? No, I never met her. Oh, okay. um, it, that's kind of a crazy story. Um, I started in the wine business because my, uh, my younger son spent a year at Oxford University. Oh, okay. And in 1999, he was there for the year. My wife and I flew to France, to actually to Barcelona, met him at Christmas time instead of him coming home. And we spent uh, two weeks traveling the Languedoc. Oh, okay. And during that trip, I was able to ha collect a bunch of different wines at places and have them shipped home through a connection that we made up, uh, a guy who does that. Especially back then when there probably wasn't that much in from well, you, the Languedoc in the United States. Well, there was still there was a bunch, but you know we just kind of played games. So before I left, I said to about a, four or five of my friends, uh, "We're going. We're we're going to bring back have some wine sent back. Who wants to play?" Mm -mm -mm. And they all raised their hands. So uh, we collected about forty cases of wine. Forty cases. That yeah, seems in other like words, a we, lot. well, yeah. we how just, many friends are we talking about? About here? five. 
you know, oh, so it's no like big. a year's worth of stuff. Well, it didn't turn out that way, actually. What happened was uh, the 40 cases arrived in my kitchen and we divvied them up and everybody paid their share. And a couple of months later, I started getting calls like, uh, hey, uh, when are we getting more of this stuff? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Second shipment was about 75 cases. Uh, about six months later, when the third shipment of 125 cases came into our kitchen, my wife kind of told me that that wasn't the way she envisioned her kitchen being. That wasn't the remodel she was no, looking for? No, that wasn't the remodel. We happened to have a large kitchen because my wife was actually uh, a professional baker in, in that kitchen. But and, and we could put 125 cases in, but it didn't fit the decorating scheme that she had in mind. So there were always some culinary leanings in the household then? Oh, yeah. We've, we've been cooks and so forth for, for, for forever. Um, uh, so... At that point, I found USA Wine Imports. Oh, yeah, sure. And um, put together a tasting with nine wines from Languedoc um, at Park and Orchard Restaurant, which some people know about, some people don't. It's a legendary Burgundy list. I mean, crazy. Even today, he's got some crazy stuff there. And Buddy was a friend of mine because I used to have lunch there all the time. And we put together a tasting, and in New Jersey, restaurants can offer wine for sale. So we had about 50 couples come to this tasting, and sold a whole bunch of wine from Languedoc, which I had brought over samples. And I started, I brought a little extra, and I started fooling around with it and harassing restaurants that we, you know, we, we would go eat in restaurants, and I would harass the wine people, and they would taste the wines, and you know, I was starting to sell it. And I went, I had, a, I had a, a portfolio of nine wines. The most expensive was $168 a case. Oh, okay. And what, what year was this? This had to be around 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. So the economy was good, and that's a check you can write pretty easy, $168. I'm going to write you a check, take, for, take for our case. Wholesale case for wine. Yeah. So, but that was the most expensive. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I took the, and I, I made up a price list and I made the, the, the typeface really big so it didn't look too stupid with nine, nine wines on the page. And I had. A, you still do that trick. I've actually I, I, noticed that I, in I, your I tasting yeah. books today. It's, it's yeah. the. Paul Mall and like 32 point types. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I took the wines around and at that, I had a cordial relationship with Jean-Luc Ledoux and went to, sure, Dan I know went yeah. to Danielle and he took five out of the nine wines. So when he took five out of the nine wines, I said to myself, you know, maybe I have something here. Yeah. So I started spending my Saturdays and Sundays peddling my wine around the city. And it was mostly to restaurants because most, res most uh, retails, retailers wouldn't see you on a Saturday except for Willie Abramsky. Um, who uh, was one of my early customers uh, at the old uh, Crossroads on 14th Street. And um, I started selling wine. And in a moment, uh, one of my, I was always a Burgundy lover. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, on my honeymoon, my wife and I took two weeks to drive from Nice to Paris through the Rhone Corridor into Burgundy. And we ended up at this rather well-known producer in Von Romanet, um, tasting through his off vintages of the 50s. This was January of 1972. So we were tasting um, 50, 51, 54. The Romani Conti was 54 
And he just opened up the whole range. And as we were ready to leave, he said to us, um, by the way, we make some white wine now. And um, would you like to taste the first vintage, the 66? So we said, sure, why not? Is that why they taste the, the white wine after all the reds at, at DRC is because it's the Feuerstein rule? Like he, he, I don't, I don't actually, I don't actually, you know, actually a lot of Burgundians taste whites, reds before whites. Yeah. And it's actually, I find it particularly first, first tasting in the morning. I think it's a lot easier to adjust to reds than whites off the bat after breakfast. I never thought of it that way. Uh, but you know, the acidity of the whites tends to, you know, kind of block you up a little bit, whereas the reds kind of open up your palate more. At least I found, I found that. And there are some guys around who will only taste reds first. But in Burgundy, it's not unusual. When they're tasting with Americans, they usually don't do that. Oh, is that true? They switch it around for the Americans? Yeah. Pretty oh, much, I didn't know that. Pretty much. But, if, but amongst themselves, a lot of them will, will taste reds first. Because in the uh, Jura, they rock the, the reds for meals before the, the whites, you know, not even just tasting. Well, color, yeah, but with their sense. whites, it might make sense, yeah. and particularly the, the dirty ones. Um, you don't carry a lot of wines from the Jura, is what you're I saying? No, I ha- actually, no, 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 no. I have a wonderful <laughs> producer from the Jura, um, LaBay family. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I've, yeah, and, the LaBay, yeah. And, uh, but I don't carry the Vale wines. I, I, oh, I just you, carry it's not the, your thing. It's, it really isn't. And, and, and what I do is about what I think is the right thing to do. So I, 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 don't, I can't sell those wines with conviction because I don't like them, so I just don't sell them. Are there other categories like that where you're like, you know what, yeah, I'm just actu- not into that? Actually, uh, I'm very susceptible to green flavors in wines, and I find that to be very distasteful. So I have a big problem with most reds from the Loire, and I don't know how to work with someone and sell his wines only in those vintages where they're really ripe. So I just don't do that. I right, just I sell can the see wines. That. Yeah, so, so I'll I mean, take your wines every five years. Yeah, you no, know, it's it, like you know, 90, it, it, it ain't the way to run a railroad. So I don't do it. And uh, there are some people who are less adverse to those flavors, and you know that's fine. But it's not my thing, so I just don't do it. But you do um, focus on France, like only France is, only France. France is only, your deal. Only France. A uh, bunch of small growers in Burgundy, a bunch of small growers in Champagne, um, uh, into the Rhone Corridor, down into Languedoc, um, some some producers on the Loire. I've I've branched out into some some uh, some Loire stuff that's uh, Savignier and uh, Sancerre and stuff like that. I have some other things from the Loire as well. But my real love is you know I'm a Burgundy whore and I, and I admit it. Um, Do you feel like the horror house has gotten considerably bigger since you started your import company? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's an interesting story because uh, I had these Languedoc wines. Let's, let's go back. Sure. I had these Languedoc wines, but I love Burgundy. So I said to myself one day, you know, you love Burgundy. You need to have some Burgundy in your, to drink. So I, uh, the main close Solomon Givry has always been a, a wine, not always, but for a long time, a wine that I liked. So I, I, I knew that Becky Wasserman represented it. So I called up her office and I said, look, I'm starting a wine port business. I'm not in Burgundy at all, but I need some wine for me. And I'd like to get 10 cases of the Givry Close Solomon. And I'm, I'm up front with you. It's for me. Yeah. It's a good uh, house wine, I mean, to say the least. You know? I, absolutely. Um, and I actually ended up speaking for some reason to Russell. Oh, okay. I have never really spoken. I mean, I've seen him. You haven't spoken to Russell? I mean, not. I then mean, you've missed one of the great pleasures of life. I think he's sir. poured me some wine at some point. But. Uh, you have to get to know Russell. Russell is 
one of the most amazing human beings that I've ever met. So anyway, Russell um, doesn't use things like email. Uh, he sent me a fax back and he said, sorry, we can't help you. And that's at that time confined to Burgundy Wine Company. And um, Got it. by the way, Russell, Becky's son Peter lives in New York. Here's his phone number. You might like him. Now, why Russell did that, no idea. I contacted Peter. We actually became friends. He actually helped me sell some wine a little bit. That was when he was back in the wine wholesale business working for uh, Mark Whitmore. And we became friends. And a moment, I like Peter. Peter's a great guy. Uh, and at that point in the textile business and for many years before, I had traveled to Europe twice a year to shop the stores to see what was in the, in the stores. See, I so, get it. So uh, I've been to Paris and London, uh, Paris and Rome and, and London and Florence many, many, many times. And I was about to make one of my trips and Peter said to me one day, you know, if you, have, if you can divert to Burgundy, we can maybe offer you some small domains. So I said... What time is that you would like me to be there? Yeah, so I I'm listening. Ran down, I ran down to Burgundy from Paris, uh, spent the night in Bone, met with uh, people from Becky's office, and the first place they took me was to Jean-Yves de Vevey. I don't know if you are familiar with his wines. Yeah. Uh, he's really a brilliant winemaker, particularly his whites. So we tasted a bunch of wines. At that point, his, his domain was called Domaine Bois-Guillaume, and he had these very naive sort of children's drawing labels, and the wines were really, really well made. At that point, they were a little on the, on the tightly wound side, but, I mean, it was real white burgundy. And went through a couple of his, you know, we tasted it through his wines, and I, I gave Becky or Caro an order. I said, I'll take this, 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 and this. And it was really small quantities. At which point, Jean-Yves said to them, what are we messing around with this guy for? He's a, yeah, I mean, is this, it true? This is a joke. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, who wants to, I mean, this is crazy. That's you, funny what? that he used like New York slang though while he was in the cellar with you. Well, no, he, that wasn't in the cellar. No, I'm no, so this, is after, this is after I left. I mean, he didn't do that my, to my face. <laughs> anyway, so they said to him, you know Why what? Why are we kit-catting around with this jackass? Well, I mean, I mean basically, yeah. That's how you know, French Absolutely. guys often talk. Yeah, know, exactly. I'm just kidding. Uh, and Jean-Yves' history was he had actually worked for Brecky in the export side of the business. He had actually pl- oh, replaced Dom Lafon, who had worked before him, and they happened to be really good friends. So anyway, they said to him, listen, this guy seems like a nice guy. Why don't we just try it? And there was another little domain um, called Domaine Montluisson, which had a couple of Maurice-Saint-Denis. They had a village. They had a Montluisson. They had a uh, uh, another premier crew, and he had like... Uh, he made like 12 bottles of Clos de la Roche, uh, which is, you know. Was that purchased by Dujac or something? No, I, I'm not sure exactly. He's, I think he may still be around. Okay, okay. But he ran into some trouble with a couple of bad vintages and kind of like it was hard to keep, keep doing business with him. Um, the wines were very good. They were, they were a little, in, in retrospect, they were a little uh, over-the-top hangtime wines, which pr- today I probably wouldn't like at all. Uh, but, I mean, they had a decent audience, and it was kind of fun. So we took wines from him. We took wines from De Vivet. And at that time, I said to Caro, I said, look, why don't you let me have some Givry Clos Solomon? I will only sell it to restaurants. Did I they have a restaurant audience for it at that time? No, it was all going to Burgundy was, Wine Company. It was all retail for yeah, Burgundy Wine Yeah, and to one retailer. So that was a reasonable request. So they gave me an, an allocation of 20 cases of Givry Clos Solomon. 
And I don't know if you remember my price list from my early days, but the price list from my early days had a picture of my 1960 Citroen Dushevo on the front. Yeah, that's right. I remember okay. that. Yeah. Well, that. That car's name is, was Claude. Claude actually died last week, and we had him towed away. But he was my, he was my guy. He was in my garage, in my driveway for many years. And he was my, the cover on my book. And finally, they, they agreed to a 20-case um, allocation of Close Solomon. And what I did when I worked with Becky, I said to her, listen, I will never be your biggest customer, but I will be your favorite customer. So I would sell my wines on Saturdays and Sundays, and I would send them an email on Sunday night with my exploits of the week and who I sold what to and what I did. So I got the samples of Close Solomon in. Now, the first wine from Becky arrived in January. I don't remember the year, but in, in January. Um, I took out the samples of Close Solomon. I had 20 case allocation. I went to Leal and sold them 10. I went to Artisanal. I sold them 10. And I sent Becky an email saying, that wacky Claude drank all the Close Solomon. I need more. Uh, by the end of the vintage, I had taken 125 cases of Close Solomon. It was just pretty crazy. Uh, it was a crazy time because I would go out on Saturdays and Sundays. I had a half a dozen people who would see me. I'd run around the city and I would just sell whatever I had. Um, and at that time, they started offering me new producers. One of the early ones was this, um, uh, this crazy character by the name of Sylvain Patay in Marcenet. The Patayanator? The, the Sylvanator, we named him. Oh, later. the Sylvanator, sorry. The, the Sylvanator. I, see, I screwed it up. The Sylvanator. Uh. Um, Sylvain is just a madman. He makes incredibly beautiful, pure wines. And um, so they sent me an email or Peter called me and he said, listen, we found this guy. Here's the story. He makes these Marcinets. I said, great. Here's what I want you to do. Send me a case of whatever you think, however many appellations. Pastogran, uh, a vineyard planted in 1936. That's a good Pastogran. Yeah. Uh, Bourgogne Rouge, um, uh, Marcinet Clodois, Marcinet Montagne, um, and they said, he makes this thing called Ancestral, but it's way too expensive. Um, I don't think you should take it. I said, well, send me some samples anyway. So I get the samples. I get a case of each, and I take them out the first day, and I show them to two customers. Uh, Richard Luftig was at um, uh, Washington Park at the time, and Willie. Willie bought them across the board, and he said, oh, yeah, that, that Ancestral is great stuff. It's expensive. It's crazy, but hey. So it is really good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's incredible stuff. It, yeah. you know, it, it it drinks way above its level. So at any rate, I took the wines, I ordered them, I ordered more behind it, and we started. And then I took them to more customers, you know, week after week. And so now, first wines arrive in January of year whatever it was. One year later, in February of that year, so it's basically. 13, 14 months after the first wine arrived in New York, Becky had her 25th anniversary tasting. At that tasting, when they went to figure out the layout for the room, they realized that I had more than half of their producers. Yeah, and, you're the biggest and, distributor and, of Becky wines in New York, but, right? But that was within one year. Yeah. So here I am, a guy who's only working on Saturdays and Sundays, okay? And 
we have the whole middle section of that room and all the traditional distributors and importers are walking in and like, like, who is this guy and where did he come from? Yeah. You know? Well, that would um, be a reasonable question. Yeah. I mean, why I mean, do you think that you've had success well, breaking down barriers where other people get the door slammed in their face? Well, yeah. no. I mean, I get plenty of doors slammed in my face. Yeah. But is in terms of getting the book together, since I, I knew a little bit about business. You mm -hmm, know, I have mm -hmm. a business background. I ran businesses. I've had my own businesses in very, very tough environments. So, but I didn't know the conventions of the wine business. So... When Becky offered me a new producer, instead of saying, send me samples, which I would forget to taste for six months, and then say, oh, these are the wrong vintage, send me the new samples, I would say, okay, what are the appellations? What are the prices? Okay, send me a case of each of these, you know, five wines and give me six behind it. Get me the labels. Let's go. So in a very short time, I had all these producers. The other thing was nobody told me I wasn't supposed to pay them on time, so I did. So they were very willing to send me new producers. So like, for example, Pavolo. So Becky said, you know, Pavolo's available. I said, are they good? She said, yeah. I said, look, I trusted Becky and her, and her group implicitly. I knew they weren't going to give me something to make me fail because they had no interest in doing that. And so you I, sell I, a lot of Pavolo before the tasting a lot of times now for some of those crews. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, I so move, that worked. I you. move a lot of Pavolo. I move a lot of, you know, I, I sell a lot of wine, um, particularly for a guy who's essentially almost single-handedly doing it. Yeah. I have some people now who are helping me, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, so in a very short order, I ended up with all these producers. And the credibility of having all those producers has helped me sell the wine because people who, a lot of, I would assume, people who wouldn't grant an audience to someone they never heard of who was only working on Saturdays and Sundays, um, I guess said to themselves, you know, how did he get, well, people said all the time, asked me all the time, how did you get this, get this book? How did you yeah. get all these people? Yeah. And I would you know, just answer them totally honestly. I would tell them if I told, if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, the way it is. And it gets expensive burying all those bodies. So it's well, yeah, and also, just, yeah, it, it, it's and it's also messy, so it's and, and there are some, there are some, uh, there are some legal issues involved. There's not and, a lot of storage and some, space and Claude. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Claude. The trunk space yeah, is Claude has limited. had a very small trunk, and and also the smell. It just just wasn't it just didn't work out well when you say claude is dead what do you really mean by that yeah. well claude I'm basically kidding, stopped functioning as a uh, as a means of transportation about four or five years ago because he had no brakes oh okay. and okay. the other thing about claude was claude had what they call a, a centrifugal clutch as as well as a regular clutch so if the if the car was in gear it would freewheel like a bicycle. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Some people might really dig that. Yeah, but when your brakes go and you want it to slow down, <laughs> that's not what you're looking for. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a go-kart down the hill. Well, it was like a driving lawnmower because you'd pull up to a, a light, put it in gear, take your foot off the clutch, and then wait for the light to change, and then you know, press that on the gas, and it would go. It was, like, it was really cool. But you kept it because you felt like a Lon Delon in La Samurai? Yeah, 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 I did. Because that's and a badass movie. Yeah. yeah. And I also had a, an emotional t attachment to Claude. Yeah. And we'll find a new Claude one of these days. Maybe a Claudette. Who knows? Maybe a Claudette. 
Maybe a Claudette. So, um, I mean, back to Becky, though. For those who may not know who we're, we're talking about. I mean, who is Becky Wasserman? Becky Wasserman is an American woman who went to Burgundy a long time ago. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how long ago, and I, I don't want to allude to her age because she'll kill me. But um, she's a legend. Um, and she selects wine under the Becky Wasserman selections. She has a whole organization, and she provides a lot of logistical services and works with importers around the country, uh, several in New York, not just me, and several in various other um, markets in the city. And she supports the wine. She takes care of a lot of the logistical aspects of getting the wines, uh, the labeling and invoicing and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and also provides a lot of other services. If I ever have a question about a wine, about something that comes up, uh, and I need something tasted and I need, you know, the real deal on it, instead of having to bring samples in, I can say to them, hey, guys, do me a favor, get a bottle of this, taste it, and tell me what's going on. Um, and that saves a lot of time, a lot of aggravation, and makes things happen a lot more quickly and, and better. So a powerful tool for an importer that this wasn't your first career, and oh, yeah, you can and only do it on the weekends to some degree. Yeah. Like having those resources in place already for you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And also USA did the same thing. They provided all the other parts of the of the puzzle that so that I didn't have to spend my time doing invoices and price postings and all the things that must be done uh, to satisfy the drug lords of the state of New York. Um, so, you know, that was, that was good. And also can't stress enough the fact that Having all those wines from Becky gave me credibility, and you as a former buyer certainly understand that. Well, also the wines tasted good. I mean, beyond well, beyond that, like yes. the reputations. Oh yeah, no, I mean, the, but the reputation yeah. is well founded. Right, I mean, exactly. It, um, it wasn't just. And you know, my story with wine is I I look for, and I I, I have wines outside of Becky Wasserman, and if I don't like the wine, I just won't carry it because I can't sell it. I can't sell something that I don't like. So. Uh, I have my own criteria for what I like in wine. It should be balanced. It should be complete. It's got to have a middle palate. It's got to have a finish. It's got to have some complexity based upon what level it is. And um, if those elements aren't there, I just don't do it. So did some of the people that ended up being customers, were you a customer of them previously? I mean, did you go to dine at certain restaurants? Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. I, absolutely. I unashamedly went and, you know, um, accosted people during dinner service when I was sitting at the table. Yeah. Um, but in a, you know, in in a relatively friendly way. And yeah. a bunch of the people out there are, have been victims of, who are listening, have been victims of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why won't the sommelier come to my table? Oh, no. I understand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, they always did. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't, I, I, I hope I wasn't obnoxious about it. I wasn't trying to be obnoxious, but I mean, you get people's attention. Um, round about that first tasting, which was now about seven years ago, um, I gave up one day a week in the, uh, one weekday in the textile business and started dealing with wine on that weekday. So I was now a, like a Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday guy. Um, and then I guess 
in July, in July of 2005, in June of 2005, a very dear friend of mine of ours in Paris got married. So we went to her wedding and came back and had about a week of working. And then the, was the annual plant shut down where all the plants shut down. And the Monday that I was going back to work, I woke up that morning and I said, you know what? I'm done. Yeah. I'm out of here. So I walked in and I told everybody that I was in, involved with, I said, I'm out of here. Want me to stick around for a couple of weeks? Fine, but I'm out of here. And at that point, I didn't really know that the wine business would be a way to make a living. Um, but I just really couldn't deal with how disgusting that business had become. Because it, it was obvious that it had nowhere to go but down. The people who were stuck in it reminded me of the test pilots and the right stuff who kept going through the checklist time after time after time, hoping that the plane wouldn't dive straight into the ground. But they knew damn well that it was. And if you think about uh, Albert Einstein defined insanity as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. So I figured, what the hell, I'll give it a shot and see if I can make it work. And if I can't make it work, I'll do something else. Um, I had reinvented myself in that industry several times. And I said, you know what, that's, that's the way it's going to be. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Life is too short. And it's the, the greatest thing I ever did in my life because... Um, I get to deal with a bunch of people who are really fun to be around. Um, I have met in some incredible winemakers who have become good friends um, and customers who have become good friends. And it's a wonderful industry. The hospitality, being involved in and around the hospitality industry is, is just really a cool thing. But here's a question for you. Um, you know, so you start about seven years ago, uh, Burgundy, although popular at the time, didn't rule the roost. Bordeaux no. really did. Oh, absolutely. And you, what you didn't choose to do was do a lot of Bordeaux, which might've been the kind of more obvious move at that time in terms of restaurant sales. And why didn't you? And uh, well, the, 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 there's two reasons. Yeah. Number one, I'd become totally bored with Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. On a personal level. On a personal level. Number two, I didn't know about all that because I didn't know anything about the wine business. Right. I had no idea. All I knew is what I liked and the passion that I had for it. And that's what I followed. I mean, I didn't, I never, I've never looked at this business as what should I do to make it commercially successful or huge. I'm at the stage of my life where I'm not looking to build a, a dynasty or an empire. Um, I'm looking to have fun, make a, a buck and a half every once in a while, and enjoy what I'm doing um, and, and be true to what I believe in. And uh, that said, I have fallen in love with a Bordeaux. Oh, really? Oh, you're carrying one now? I am going to be bringing it in soon. Um, and again, a lot of the, 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 the things that happen, happen to you in life and particularly in this business are crazy coincidences. I was at the, um, the Millezim Bio in January 
And I ended up staying in a the gas- The BO of the year. The BO of the they year. They gave me that in high school one time. They oh, they said I had the BO of the year. Oh, I, I got, a, I got a, a, a crazier award. <laughs> What'd I, you get? I, I was the worst French student in the history of Great Neck North Senior <laughs> High School. Oh, yeah? That was you? That was me. And at graduation, they gave me an award. It was called the Quad the Hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have an auction for that every year. Well, the funny thing is now I probably speak better French than any any of the kids that were in the school with me. Um, Go no. At any rate, I'm at this really awful hotel, and it's one of these places where I was literally the first night the only one staying there. It was at the beach in Palavas. And it was one of these things where you, where you walk up to the dark hotel and punch in the code and the door buzzes and you go in and you're the only one in the building. And it's, it's really kind of creepy. I saw that movie. Yeah, it, at the beginning, right yeah. before she gets eaten. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I checked the, the shower. There was nobody hiding <laughs> in there. But I had it, yeah. At any rate, so the second night, I'm walking out of my room. Now, they gave me a suite. The suite was two rooms. So I had one room to sleep in and one room to put my jacket in. Um, because I was the only one in the hotel. So they figured they would give me the, like the bridal suite. So second night, I'm walking out of my, the room to go to dinner. And two doors down, this lovely looking couple walks out of the room. And we both walk to the elevator, which was about a foot and a half square. And the three of us get into the elevator. Oh, the French elevator. Yeah, the French yeah, elevator. The classic, with, with, yeah. with the accordion door things that right. you have to kind of exhale to get into. <laughs> so the three of us are in there and we got to know each other really fast in the, three, in, in the 30 second ride. And we walk out of the hotel together and we're talking and they had just arrived. And they were really an elegant, lovely couple. And we ended up having dinner together and we're talking. And they're from Bordeaux. They actually from Cote de Franque. They have a, um, he's like the fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth generation that's owned Chateau Le Puy. Oh, sure. Okay. And Chateau Le Puy is, so we had dinner and they're just wonderful people. The next day at the show, I did something that I never would have done in a million years. I went and tasted a Bordeaux and I totally flipped out over the wine. It's texturally nothing, like nothing I've had from Bordeaux ever. Um... I mean, it's got great energy. I mean, the wine is wonderful. I mean, they make several different wines. So Le Sylvanator was at the the show. So I said, go taste the wine. Tell me what you think. Another guy by the name of Remy Padrano from Rock Dunglade. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know his wine. He was there and I, I talked to him about it. And he said, you know, it's funny because I'd heard about their wines and I picked up a couple of bottles in Switzerland last week. So I said, Remy, go taste the wine. So I brought Remy over to meet um, Monsieur Amaro and Madame Amaro, and he tastes and he walks over, he tastes the wine, and I hear him say to the guy, "I didn't know you could do that in Bordeaux." Oh yeah, <laughs> that was his that was his opening comment, and I'm saying this is the guy I want. This is this is this is cool. So. Um, I was in conversation with them and they were weighing several things, one of which was a national importer. Um, They are, by the way, organic biodynamic. They work only by horse. Um, It's an amazing place. So I went to France in April. We left on Friday. When they came into New York, they were in Montreal. They came into New York, had dinner with me on that Wednesday night. Thursday, we made a deal. And Friday I left for France and tra- we went to my usual craziness. We started in uh, Burgundy. We 
spent a, a Saturday, we spent Saturday with uh, Stephanie Collino in Irancy, and then we went up and met a new producer in the Cote d'Or in Champagne, and then uh, I had a, a few customers with me. We went down into the Cote d'Or for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday morning was the sort of the Bataan death march. We left Bone in the morning. We tasted in uh, Givry, uh, Macon, and then Condreya. We went to uh, Georges Vernet, which, who I represent in Condre. Oh, yeah, that's right. You and, represent and, Vernet. And all their reds. Their reds are incredible also. Um, and that was a, actually a, a late afternoon meeting because he was busy. And then we went from there to Bordeaux that day, which if you've ever done the drive is, it's a lot of driving. So we stayed actually about an hour west of Bordeaux that night and spent that whole Saturday at Chateau Le Puy. And it's really an amazing place. Lentils? Uh-huh. Lots of lentils? No, that's Le Puy. Oh, sorry. Just messing with you. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> but, I mean, just, I mean, that's, that's I didn't know that, that you picked up a Bordeaux. But, I mean, uh, to back on the Burgundy thing for a second. Sure. I mean, has it turned out that dealing with, uh, because you had Pavolo, which is uh, you know a, a producer of mostly Savigny Le Bon, and you had De Vevi, which does uh, Bourgogne, Blanc, and uh, you know lower. Well, and also uh, Chassagne, okay, Marceau. Sure. They have a Chassagne Macherel Premier crew, you know. But and then Patai, did you know? Did did it make sense during a, a, the Burgundy boom years that we've just seen since the '05 release that? Dealing in village and sort of less uh, prestigious, less pricey Burgundy became a hot market because a lot of people needed to find less expensive Burgundy. You know, I don't, I know, I never look kind of look at that. Yeah, look at it that way. But I mean, it's, that's not all I had. I mean, right. I, I mean, I have you know Nicola Rossignol and, and all his premier group. You're, you're saying those wines are overpriced? Is that what you're trying to say? No, no, no. I said, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I have they're, they're under I have stuff that's they're, they're not really over, expensive and no no they're not oversold they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're not they're not oversold they're overbought right 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 I went, once to, I was trying to get home from London uh, on a on a plane it was a crazy story but I get to TWA's counter years ago and and they they explained to me the flight has been overbought. Right. Well, yeah, no, they do we that. don't. We don't have a seat for you because too many people bought tickets. Yeah. We didn't sell them. We didn't right. oversell right. it. Right. They right. overbought right. it. You know? Well, they're um, always expecting someone not to show up. Yeah. yeah. So at any rate, so no, no. The point is, I've offered a range of wines. One of the things that I am able to offer people is the value of a Pavolo or a Patai wine or a Givry from Close Solomon or you know. Um, the Bourgogne from, or the the Volnay village from Rossignol, and 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 that's part of the that's part of the equation, um, al- along with the Premier Cru and, and Grand Cru wines. I mean, we just picked up, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Olivier, uh, uh, actually Hubert Lamy. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. You mentioned and, that. Too. And those wines are, I mean, they're they're crazy good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that helpful, though, in an era where, you know, some of the more classic appellations are quite pricey, but people still want to drink Burgundy? Yeah, of course, of course it's helpful. Um, I mean, there's room for everything. I mean, Iran's... Is, is it, was there I mean, always room for everything, I guess, is the question I have, or has that developed you know, in the last... You know, I, from my perspective, yes. Yeah. From a global perspective, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. 
because I don't understand the rest of it. I just try oh, I, to understand I didn't mean what to I'm like doing. No, put no, no. The nails to you. I just no, curious no, no, if you no, saw. no. But I, I mean, I'm very much a microcosm and a niche of the world, and and I don't really, maybe to my detriment, pay attention to the the grand scheme of things. I decided to get into grower champagnes. I certainly wasn't the first one to do that, but um, I guess around. 2004, five, I started, maybe six, I don't remember, um, with La Ert. Yeah. And then... Um, and you have a number of them that are quite good. Like yeah. You have Daunt and you yeah. have Flozart Cocar. Well, and what I said to Peter was at that time and Becky, I said, okay, I'm into this champagne thing. I think it's really cool. I want to be your champagne Charlie. So at one of my tastings, the, the, the big tasting we had down at Del Posto, we showed like 15 or 16 growers, you know, and we started with them. And then we've weeded some out. We've added some. I've found some more that are, that are not through Becky, a Champagne Village portfolio, and I have a mix. But to me, I look at something like Champagne, and I, I look at Champagne as being burgundy if you allow it to be by not blending away what makes it great. And to me, the idea was don't have one grower champagne, have a range of grower champagnes which exhibit the qualities of the places that they come from and then let the buyers have uh, a choice and exhibit them at the tasting in such a way that that becomes very obvious. I think I was the first one in New York to show champagne by region at my tastings. All the Cote de Blancs have always been on one table in a progression. The, the, the wines from Valley de la Marne, Cote de on a different table in a progression. And the Montan de Rasse, and now I put the Cote de Bar ones with that because they're also Pinot Noir centric. So, and there's, I only had one now, maybe I'll have two at the next tasting. Uh, I, I, I'll have, a, yeah, I'll have two at the next tasting. So do I want to have a separate table for those? I haven't really thought about it yet. But to me, the idea of someone being able to taste village by village in the Cote de Blanc and then taste two producers from Auger, taste two different producers from Chouy, aside from the fact that it's a, a cool thing to have, becomes a very interesting way for everybody to start to understand what those differences are because they're not blended away. And in a way... Maybe starting with Burgundy helps you see that. Well, yeah, because it, to me, it's exactly the same thing. Uh, I'm not sure that everybody has always looked at it that way. I went, I went on a, um, uh, when I started with Champagne, I went on a, an importer's trip that the, through the French embassy with a bunch of people to Champagne and Alsace. And we're, we're driving around Champagne in, in a van and we're visiting all these producers and we get to La Erte. And they had like a little um, buffet lunch, you know, charcuterie and stuff. And I tasted the wines and I met the people and I walked over to the person who was organizing the trip. And I said, look, I'm staying here this afternoon because I'm going to bring these champagnes in and I want to walk their vineyards. I want to meet these people. I want to understand these people better. I want to get to know them. And I want to actually get my hands in the dirt because 
there's really no there's one there's one maybe one producer where I ha- that I work with where I haven't literally walked the vineyards with them. Um, and I'm not going to tell you which one it is. <laughs> um, and it's only because geographically, it's like a day there and a day back. And it's not a real complicated wine. And I'll tell you who it is. It's the Muscadet from Gandon. And um, uh, Becky once told me that at a taste, this is actually funny, at a tasting that she was doing with Freddie Munier, who uh, unfortunately I don't have. Someone said to him, Freddie, what is your favorite white wine? And he thought for a minute and then they, you know, they figured he was going to pull some, you know, crazy ass obscure thing out sure. of his, you know, or, you know, Montrachet from DRC or something. And he says, oh, no, it's the, uh, my favorite white wine is the Muscadet from, from Domaine Gandon. Oh. And they looked at him and they go, really? Yeah. Mr. Musigny? Yeah. He goes, yeah, because it's crisp, it's well balanced, it, it, it's fresh and it's inexpensive and I can just gobble it up. And they kind of looked at him like, that wasn't what I expected. Right. Um, and so anyway, I, I haven't walked that vineyard. I haven't visited. That's the only domain that I can think of that I actually have not visited. Um, and so that, is there any other Freddie Mounier recommendations that you didn't take? He was like, you know what else I love is this no, actually, restaurant. And you're like, I'm never going there. No, actually, ac- actually, um, you. <laughs> you're always messing with me. Um, <laughs> No, actually, um, I would take any of his recommendations. Like yeah, that. yeah, no, I was just kidding around. <laughs> but <laughs> so you you went to uh, La Ert, though. I went to I went to La Ert, and um, the, the people at the uh, going back to the the trip. So the people who were organizing this trip, they kind of looked at me a little funny, and I said, "Look, if I have to take a cab back to the hotel tonight in Epernay or wherever the hell it was, or Ras, where I forget where it was," he said, "I'll do that. It's okay, but I, you know, this is what I'm doing." Yeah. And there was something about Aurelien Laert and about Thierry and about the family and about the wines and about the way they were and that just appealed to me, just viscerally. Yeah. So I went with it. Did they have a small elevator? No small elevator. Okay, I'm just trying no to see if there's like a no, common there's, theme. There's, no, there's no elevator theme. Okay, no, right. no, just no. making sure. The like, only elevator theme is my my elevator shoes, which are going down. <laughs> <laughs> you like get them to sign the papers, but they don't even know. You're, you know, you're nah, just, you know like what? so close contact. You're you like, know, I've never had a contract with a okay. grower. Is that true? It's all a handshake? Yeah, because the truth of the matter is, uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to France and sue them? Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are people who do that, I guess. Right. But I don't, I don't believe in it because if... If they don't want to do business with me, I'm going to force them to do business with me. Through a French court system that could take a decade to. And even that, it's not even a question of that. I don't want it. That's not not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. Oh, you don't want to hang out with me? Great. I'm going to force you to. Yeah. That's always a good party. Yeah. yeah, That's, you know, girls respond to that very well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's it's just not what I do. Uh, And I've lost some people and I've found some people and I've been disappointed by a few people and I've been appointed by some people. why isn't that? Why is that the opposite of disappointed? Appointed? I could never figure that. out. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, I thought like maybe they gave you a medal or something. No, 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 no. The no medals. The no longer quad a helpless. <laughs> right. I don't know. No, not it wasn't helpless. It was hopeless. I know. I was just testing you, yeah, okay. seeing if that was a true story or not. You know. Yeah. What I mean? I wouldn't lie to you. Hey, never have before, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, always ready, always ready. No, but I mean, you know. It it sounds like in many ways uh, the portfolio grew out of what you were drinking, 
And it sounded like you started to drink more grower champagne, and you were well, like, "Well, actually, actually, it wasn't that I was more drinking more grower champagne. I I was there, and I was awakened to something. Yeah. And I said, "Well, let me try it." So I started with Laert, and then at at, the, at a point, I said, "You know what? I like this. I'm going to do this the same way as I do Burgundy. I'm going to just plunge in." Um. And. Luckily, and and the fact that it was through Becky, the wines are, you know, impeccable. So, you know, I had instant credibility. I didn't have to go to France and spend, you know, two months there trying to figure out which ones to do. Right. Um, And I've picked people up over the years in uh, strange ways. Uh, Are we talking about wine still, or is this another? Yeah, no, we're, we're still talking okay, about wine. Just making sure. <laughs> My wife might hear this, so I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Just say it. Just trying right. to clarify. Yeah, no. Um, you know, Colino, um, Sylvan Patai had Bongo Montecu. Yeah, sure. The one where the like, show me your ass vineyard, that one? Yeah, yeah. okay. And he also has Bourgogne Chapitre. Now, the other two Lyodis in Burgundy that are allowed to put their name on label at Bourgogne level are Côte Saint-Jacques and uh, Chapelle Notre, Notre Dame oh, in, okay. in La Dois. So at one moment I said to myself, wouldn't it be cool to have all four of the crazies? Yeah. Okay. So I started doing some research and I found out that Michel Laurent, who is the three-star chef of the restaurant Côte Saint-Jacques, made wine. And it was just before I was going to Burgundy. Uh, so I called him up and I made an appointment to see. He, had, he makes a, son, a, a Côte Saint-Jacques. Oh, I didn't know that. Neither did I. Do you and carry it, that now? No. Oh, okay. Uh, you'll hear the story. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to, okay. yeah, the parable. So, so, I mean, it's just the crazy ways that you find wines. Yeah. So we went, we got off the plane in, in, in Paris, jumped in the car, drove down to Joigny, which is not a terribly long flight or drive, met with him. So while I was there, I, I, I said to his uh, head sommelier, I said, hey, by the way, who's the best guy in Iran C? Oh, okay. And he goes, oh, Colino. So I said, write that down. <laughs> so my wife and I got in the car. We ran to Iran C, tasted at the Colinos, met um, the father and mother, who he is like the most amazing character, fell in love with the wines. And I said, you know, I'd really like to have these wines. And while I'm tasting the wines, my wife is looking around. It's their, it's their tasting room slash bottling room slash retail sales room. And there's a bunch of clippings about his daughter getting all these awards and things, Stephanie Colino. And she's now making the wines. So I said to him, um, we'd like to meet your daughter. He says, oh, well, she's getting married soon. So she and her husband are out shopping in Auxerre, which is the next big city. You wanted to meet her because she was in the clippings, not for other reasons. Like, no, my wife was there. Right. No, I'm just saying. Like, no, I mean, it's a I strange meet request. I wanna, usually don't no, no, say, no, like, because, no, no, because she's the winemaker. Oh, she's the winemaker. Yeah, no, she's did the I, winemaker. Did you say that already? I thought I did. But, okay, you know, maybe you did. I'm sorry. It's I possible. Was, maybe I, I said it in Esperanza I was just trying to figure or something. Out or pig Latin. Yeah, I'm a little dumb. Nobody's dumb. There are no dumb questions. I'm just saying. At any rate, so she wasn't around. We met her the next day. Meantime, I'm talking to um, Monsieur Colino, and I want to explain to him who I work with. So I take out, I had a price list with me, and I start going through the list, and he goes through, and he knows all the guys. Yeah. Because Stephanie went to wine school with in With that Burgundy, generation, sure. And he gets to Nicola Rosignol, 
And he goes, my daughter used to be engaged to Nicola Rossignol. Really? And now I'm going, oops. Yeah, this could be a problem. And then, now. And then he yeah. goes, and you, you, the people who are listening can't see this, but he takes his right hand and he brings it upward and his left hand and he brings it downward away from him. And he said, but he is a bird and she is a fish. Oh. Now it turns out Rossignol in French is uh, nightingale. Bird. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. And there's a parable in France about the bird and the fish that don't get married or some, some, some such thing. So I go, okay. We meet Stephanie and her new fiance, who is uh, uh, a guy whose family makes a bunch, of Chat, a bunch of Chablis. It's the family that owns Chateau de Maligny, which it turns out happens to be the largest vineyard holder in Burgundy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, nice, very nice guy. And we take the wines. So we start bringing in the old vines, some Moutier, I think, and the Palot. And the wines are really good and really cool. I thought you were going to say like, and he was a salmon or something no, like no, that. No, like, no. you know what I mean? No. Like, now I go to, now we, we go down <laughs> to the Cote d'Or and a couple of days later, I'm having a taste with Nicola, a tasting with Nico, Nico Rossignol. And I go, hey, I got regards from you from your pal in Iransi. Wow, that's ballsy on your part <laughs> oh, yeah. after you knew well, it was he, like he, dangerous territory. He's also a friend. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good friend. Right. Um, and he goes, oh, I guess we can't do business anymore. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah. So and then he starts laughing. Oh, okay. Because um, I was like, wait. Uh, well, so evidently, Steffi had done a stage with him. Well, in wine school, and they got romantically involved. And sure, it didn't work out, but they're still actually they're still good friends. Now, let me ask you a question: Is he the skiing guy, or is that the other guy? He's a, he doesn't own he, he is a skiing guy. Yeah, he, he's a skier, but the with the skis, he doesn't make the skis. Okay, he but just, his he, family he, he, or is, no, because there's Rosenyol Trappe, there's Rosenthal. I get well, confused. if you if you look at the phone book in yeah. Volnay, yeah, there's four pages of Rosenyol. Oh, there is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you know. Yeah. Um, Actually, Rossignol Propé is now joining our so they portfolio. Still have phone books and involvement. I think they do. Yeah. Okay. It's I not, mean, you're there more than me, so I'm I, I don't saying, really use you know look at the is. phone book, but that's what I'm told. I know. Uh, yeah. But now, actually, I'm I'm just starting with Rossignol Trappé, who is a cousin, and the two brothers at Rossignol oh, Trappé are? are David and Nicola. So now I have two Nicola Rossignols. No waiting. Yeah, that seems Which, like a... It's oh, very confusing very when I get an email thing. from one of them and I have to figure out who it's coming from. Yeah. Or when I'm sending an email and I'm always afraid I'm sending it to the wrong one. You should give them some kind of number. Like yeah. your number one, your number two. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll make... make, make um, you can call one guy fish, one guy bird. Or, you know, yeah. That kind of thing. Either that or, you know, V and G. Right. Yeah, something. Volney and Gevray. Oh, right. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Yeah, yeah maybe right I'll there. do that. I got I to gotta, I gotta work on that. Because that could easily go wrong. I got to look an outlook you tonight and see if I can do that. Yeah. the joke to the wrong guy about the, you know, the other thing or whatever. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. I mean, because um, I do stuff like that all the time, so yeah. then I get myself in trouble. So exactly, exactly. Take it from a guy who knows. Like, but yeah. you never know who's standing next to you. You know, I'm amazed what I hear at restaurants because, you know, I'm, I write about restaurant journalism and right. lines and stuff, you know? And, you know, they'll be... Especially when you go to a popular place, like a place that just opened, the people sitting next to you are often like a chef or, you know, some players of some kind because they're trying to check out the new place. And mm -hmm. you're amazed at like what they will say, you to know, each other. to each other. Like, well, they don't, I mean, New York, everyone's like <laughs> packed in, you know, you're just sitting there. You're like, well, if you are going to say that out loud, uh, I'm going to remember, <laughs> like, you know, that kind of stuff. You're just amazed, you know. Yeah. People um, don't understand that sometimes people listen. Did, so, I mean, what's next for 
for Pall Mall here? I mean, what's what's? I mean, you said you're not trying to build an empire, but you said you you took on some new employees. It seems like well, the, uh, the book a, is pretty big. I know? have a the book is pretty big. I have a couple people helping me to sell. Actually, one, well, one point oh oh four, um, um, and there may be some other people joining me. I'm in conversation with other people to join me. Um, but the obvious the the, the the object is not to build a huge business. The object is to has always been to have a healthy business that respects its suppliers and and has a, a very probably a very different relationship with its suppliers than most wine companies. When a producer comes to New York, I invite them to stay at my home. And I'm very happy if they do. And if we happen to have, and I, I feel responsible. There's a, there was a French um, author, actually a gastronome by the name of Briand Savarin. Sure. Yeah. And one of the things he said in one of his books, uh, The Physiology of Taste, was when you, have, when you invite someone to your table, you are responsible for their welfare. And I really view- Like the checks each month or- no, 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 just to make sure that they are, you know, are well fed. Uh, and I, I kind of take that, th- that, that feeling to the way I want to have a relationship with the people who, who make the wine that I sell. So I want them to, to be a part of our lives. I want to get to know them personally. When they come to New York, I want to show them around. I want to take them to restaurants. I want to expose them to something that they are not familiar with. I don't take them to French restaurants. One of the place I, places that they must go is Cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They must have pastrami. Yeah. They must be exposed to celery tonic, which... Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I happen to love it. Yeah. The funny, oh, the, me too, yeah. The funny thing is um, Sylvain Pataille's reaction to, 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 to celery tonic. He tasted it and he looked at it and he tasted it. He looked at me and he said, he looked at me and he said, it's very particular. And when a French person said there's something very particular, that means they really hate it. Yeah. I bet you the Loire producers like it a little bit more, huh? They're like, oh, it's a touch green. <laughs> you know? You know what I'm saying? Maybe. This I never, is like never seven tri- years. Never, never tried. Well, that's not exactly like seven years. <laughs> well, no, you know what I'm not saying. Not at all. Um, so we try to have that kind of relationship. You know, when Becky had her 30th uh, birthday, uh, uh, anniversary party in New York a few years ago, that, po- that was on a Monday. All the winemakers were in town. So on Sunday night, I invited them all to my house for dinner. Now, they were all staying in the city. So we rented or hired a yellow school bus to pick them all up in the city and drive them out to Tenafly, New Jersey, where I and, and, and my wife, my wife and I cooked for them. And didn't that comic do that? And like, and isn't that? Did you get that out of Andy Kaufman's biography? Where he's like, no, no. pick up the people in the school bus for the milk and cookies. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I, did, like, I actually, I actually, I actually you know. have seen that, but it didn't occur to me. Yeah. But I had to have a way to get him out here, and I thought the school bus was right. would be like pretty funny. Yeah, no, it is funny. Um, so, I mean, we cooked for them. Yeah, I boned out a bunch of chickens, made a mushroom duxel stuffing with wild mushrooms. And the funny part was Nico Rossignol had been in town for three or four days working the market with me. So I had all these open bottles of his Volnay, his Chiray and all these things. So I used it to make the sauce and then told all his friends I did. 
which caused him no end of grief. You know, your wine's good enough. Your Kyrie is good enough for the sauce. Ah, the nightingale <laughs> sauce. So anyway, so when they came to my house and I led them all down into my basement where, where the cellar is. And I said to them, in the days of um, the Knights of the Round Table, the king would send them to the Holy Land with instructions to pillage. Your instructions tonight are to pillage. Anything in the cellar that you want to drink, bring upstairs and we'll all drink it. I, I had a, a Gero of the La Ert, um, uh, brew tradition on the, on, the, on the counter in the kitchen uh, open so that they would have something to drink. And I just said, I, anything that's there, I don't care how precious it is, let's do it. And actually, if you look at Nicola Rossignol's Facebook page, he still has a, a picture of a bunch of the bottles. And we just had a great, great evening. Um, uh, and you know, then they, the, finally the school bus came and there was some drama with the school bus. The school bus couldn't find the George Washington Bridge from Manhattan, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Do you ever see that Louis C.K. where they take it on the West Side Highway and then school buses aren't supposed to go on well, the West that Side was the Highway? Well, that was the problem. She was on Broadway and didn't know where to make the turn. So, I mean, I, I was getting t cell phone calls from French people like, the person driving this bus is an imbecile. She can't find the George Washington Bridge. Very particular driver. And, and she only yeah. speaks Spanish. Very helpful. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a romance language. Right. You know, so. so, on the way home, I get a phone call from one of the winemakers and they hold up the phone and they're all singing songs to me. It was like it was like a very cool night. It sounds um, like a very cool night. It was. It was really, really it was a lot of fun. And 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 to me that's what it's about. I want to have fun with these people. I want, you know, I want them to enjoy when they come here. I think you've done a good job. Well, I hope so. Michael Feuerstein of Palm Mall Selections. Thank you for being here today. Pleasure was all mine as always, young man. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.